Glorious worship this morning. What a blessing. <laughs> Good morning. Nice to see everyone. Uh, my name is Rand Eberhard, and it's my honor to share my faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ this morning uh, with you. The invitation to share the word, the preached word of God, is something that I don't take lightly, so hopefully it uh, comes across that way. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have invited each of us to intersect with your word this morning, to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We pray that our hearts would be softened, available to the seeds of truth to transform lives. Thank you for every person here. Equip us with the equipment of the kingdom to walk in obedience and honor and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about the revelation of God and how it affects our lives and what we do with that and how we contribute to the kingdom of God and how we build on a foundation, the church, and how our our faith in Christ comes alive as we embody the things of the Lord. When we attempt to define ourselves independent of the Bible and the church, we find ourselves on a foundation only as deep as our experiences. And then we look to titles and achievements and goals for our personal value. And we look to other people to affirm us to find our self-worth. And I can tell you that if we live by the praises of man, we die by their criticism. And let that hit you for a minute. It's so easy to be a a people pleaser in today's world that that is so bent on performance and your value and what you know and what you do, but when we can come to terms with the fact that we are a child of God and he has a place for us in the kingdom of heaven, and today we get to walk out our faith and be transformative as God transforms us on an ongoing basis. Thank God that we don't have to go it alone. The Lord has invited us into his kingdom, offering us wisdom and hope through Excuse, that's a little premature. Just ignore that for a second. <laughs> that was kind of like a theme song. Like, what does this have to do with what he's saying? <laughs> but through the kingdom of God, we're without excuse. And the word of God gives us all the reason we need to understand the message of Christ. The evidence of him walking the earth as the incarnate witness that we get to place our faith in that and read about him as we will in Matthew this morning to understand that his love is unchanging, his revelation is real. Our Our value in the church is not what we know if what we know doesn't shape our lives. Do you, can you articulate your convictions, but more importantly, do you embody them? The best days are ahead of those of us who understand that how we carry the kingdom of God and how we walk it into a broken world is what determines us to be contributors to the kingdom or not. So how do you embody your faith and how do you articulate your convictions? Jesus understood that transformational things in life is about asking the right questions, evidenced by his gospels evidenced by the accounts of the personal witness of those that walked with him and wrote his questions out. 
This morning, we're going to cover a few of these important questions. But my question to you is, when you're challenged, what questions arise for you? And what is the source of your answer? What is the source of your hope? What is the source of your willingness to surrender, realizing that apart from Christ, we are nothing, we have nothing? The happiest, most productive people are those with clarity of purpose. And when purpose comes alive for us, it's because our hearts are aligned with the Father's will. There's no way to know what that is apart from the Word of God, your place in the church, the body of Christ, and you being an extension of the rock. So in Matthew, uh, Matthew was a tax collector, and he, he, he left his post as a tax collector, and immediately, it says he immediately followed Christ. He immediately surrendered his life and his will and walked and followed the, the risen Lord, or the Lord at this point. And it was transformative not only in his life, but for those around him and for us as we read the account of Matthew in 16. And prior to uh, what happens and what we're going to focus on this morning, we see the Beatitudes happening in in his ministry in Galilee, the miracles that took place that were overwhelming evidence of the risen Lord. The religious leaders demand a sign in 16 prior to this uh, section of Scripture, starting in 13, to demonstrate, to be on guard of the false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Peter's confession is what we zero in on. If you'll turn in your Bibles and your pew Bible to Matthew 16, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. And the pew Bibles are the ESV. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus asked questions and corrects the disciples he is the Christ not the one someone to come he is the risen Lord he is the Christ you see in ancient Israel they were the Jews were awaiting the coming Messiah and they were they they hoped that he would be a a king and would rule with the sword and rule with with violence and intimidation but Jesus comes as a servant and he laid it down his life as a ransom for many and he came to serve Jesus pulls away from his ministry having performed signs and wonders. In today's world, leaders are so self-focused on how they can better trend. And a person says, wow, I'm not really trending right now. Maybe I'll just put out more content about me, right? <laughs> so that, that's the nature of social media and the nature of what celebrates the individual. But Jesus, though he had a following, would take time to pull away and restore, to enter into moments of silence and solitude and prayer and what would be spiritual disciplines that we can look to as an example. So in this video, they'll show why Caesarea Philippi. And uh, six years ago, Dr. Youssef preached a sermon on this very uh, section. And he, he, he rose the notion that the importance of the extension of the church is the confession. Not the person, Peter, but the, the confession of the church today and yesterday. So if you'll show the video, Caesarea Philippi is a town in northern Israel, and this was a trip that Leading the Way took with Dr. Youssef and, and documented some of the footage of what happened here. It's a, uh, the, the city was given to King Herod the Great by the Roman Emperor Augustus Caesar. Herod's son Philip rebuilt it and named it after himself and Caesar. So there's a culture of death in this situation. 
a culture of fear, and people lived in anticipation. And at the center of this, this scare tactic and fear was self-will and to be empowered as an individual and to, to have people serve King Herod and his agenda. So Jesus took the disciples here, and in the backdrop of all the gods of the world, the pagan gods that would be honored here in these columns, Jesus says, well, who is it that people say the Son of Man is? And when he rose the question, the Son of Man, he knew, and he was planting in their heads that he, in fact, was the risen Savior of the, li- of the living God, the soon-to-be risen Savior of the living God. So it was Jesus who was placing himself against the backdrop of this worldly pagan environment where he intentionally compared himself to the other gods, knowing that he stood out, knowing that he was the true Son of God, the Son of Man. And Matthew references the Son of Man as central in the Synoptic Gospels. He makes it clear that he was, in fact, the Lord. 2,000 years of testimony and historical evidence that we see in our, in our lives, and we look back, we're without excuse, as said in Romans 20, uh, 20 or verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, it speaks of, we're without excuse by way of the evidence of God's revelation and creation and how we allow the, the faithfulness of God to shape our lives as we face problems, as we face questions and skepticism. And we have plenty of reasons to look for things to doubt our faith. But if God is central and he sits on the throne of our lives, he makes himself known. And that's part of the emphasis this morning, the revelation of God. And we'll get to that. Like forgiveness, positionally, we can rectify our differences, but our differences show up interpersonally. And like our faith and the tension that we have around how could a a loving God allow this to happen to me? And the truth is, how could a faithful, just God invite me, a sinner, a broken person, a person with self-focus and and selfish tendencies, how could he allow me to get up here and share my faith, hope, and love? The same is true with those who say that God is, uh, when we say that God is a wrong view of God and an incorrect view of others is how our faith wavers. A wrong view of God leads to an incorrect view of ourselves and an inaccurate view of others. And that's the foundation of the church's mission. That's the foundation of what I've learned and God's transformation in my life. That as we lay down our lives and we surrender and we look to the lordship of Jesus, we realize that he's inviting us deeper into his heart if we are available to his revelation. I'm going to share a quick story of how a person delivered me into the presence of hope in the midst of incredible despair in my life. The soil condition of my heart years back was, was rocky and full of skepticism and full of doubt and anger and sadness. And addiction would be what I would lean on to offset these burdens in my life. And th- though they would provide a temporary escape, there was always consequence to follow. And with those consequences came delay, regret, embarrassment, and things that were irreparable. But the one thing that was in fact able to be restored was my heart and my faith and my hope and my love. I always believed in God, but surrender was not a part of what I chose for my path in this, in this tough season of life. 
So it was in the midst of despair, in the midst of all these setbacks, that my mom loaded me into the car and drove me out to this place called No Longer Bound, which was a Christ-centered residential recovery program where I spent nine months. And it was in the context of this environment that I was available to the revelation of God, a revelation that brought restoration of hope and surrender and faith and a love that was sourced from heaven. It's not conjured up willingness to love people, but really learning how to love people from very different worlds. It was in this place that, like the parting of the roof and the brothers that dropped their, friend, their paralytic friend before the Lord, they knew if they could just get him around the power of God, transformation would occur. And thanks be to God for my mom and for you guys that love your loved ones as you do, and for those of you that are a bit younger, that you would consider this example and the ones in in the Scripture that that show us how we are to never waver from from a compassion and a love that goes beyond circumstances. People can't undo our love. We choose to do that. So allow the Lord to shape your heart and your love for people and let it be sourced in something bigger than you. So I walked down the hill near death. Um, somehow I weighed 40 pounds less than I do now. <laughs> you know, and, and I, was, I was near death. It was, it was physically, emotionally, and spiritually at, at the end of life for me at 25 years old. I walked down the, hall, down the, down the street to this, this place called the Zoe House. And in Greek, that means life, real life as God intended, devoted to God. And it was there that I was at my breaking point. But it was there where an old life died and new life was breathed into me. So I share that to say that our our, our hesitation to look more like Christ shows up interpersonally. Our hesitation to look more like, to to try to look more like Christ uh, um, intellectually shows up if we don't embody our convictions. So in verse 14, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The Jewish apocalyptic literature in Second Esdras speaks of coming help. This wasn't foreign to the ancient Israelites. They knew that there would be a coming Messiah. And again, they were looking for him in different ways. All the answers that indicate a popular view of Christ as another spokesman of God, but all who encounter him knew he had supernatural authority. And as people encounter us, if our love is real and from the Lord, they'll know that we have a supernatural influence, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that sets us apart and doesn't give our value based on what we know, but what we embody, the power and the love and the forgiveness of God. In our culture, it creates an environment of shared beliefs and ways of thinking and methods of interacting and places us at the center. Culture has a major influence on who we are. It is possible for men to have good thoughts of Jesus Christ, but still not high enough ones yet. So this is the transition into well done is better than well said in verse 14, 15. But what about you, he asks, who do you say that I am? And that is my question to you this morning. And as you leave this place and as you go out and you think about in the midst of my struggles, my setbacks, my disappointments, my fear of the future, my need to be needed, my, my people-pleasing nature, whatever it is that, is that is hindering the fullness of life for you, 
Who is it that you say Jesus is? In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the good reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. That's what it's about, being a believer in Christ and walking in the fullness of the Spirit. You're the presence of hope for people. You are the presence of the light of the world, the Christ in you sets you apart as a difference maker. And people are drawn to that, the attractional nature of Christ. And that's what we strive for. That's what we are to embody. Be prepared to give a a reason for the hope that you have. This was Peter after his confession that says this. But do this with gentleness and respect. And you can reference that later, 1 Peter 3.15. Can you articulate your convictions and do you embody them? That's the reoccurring challenge. So who is it that you say that Jesus is in this very moment? Do you start your days with Jesus and do you end by standing behind the cross, leaning on his grace, his mercy and love? Simon Peter answered in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He believes this to be the settled truth. He confesses from the heart. Romans 10, 9, we're all invited to do this. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're wrestling with your salvation this morning or if someone you know is, what's going on in your heart condition? What, it, what is contributing to an unbelief? What is furthering your potential and your favor before the Lord? And if, in fact, God has done a work in your life, Don't stop being the presence of hope for people. Load them up in the car and drop them off in a place where the redemptive work of Jesus Christ can occur. But maybe that is your part, and maybe that is what God's calling you to as you think in your mind. Each of you have a person in mind who is in great need of freedom, in great need of hope. Don't give up on that person. So Jesus confessed with his mouth, and he believed in his heart, and the church would begin at this intersection. John 1.14, the word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. We see in his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this was the experience of the disciples. They saw the evidence of the, of the living God, full of grace and unapologetic truth, that he had compassion everywhere he went. But he made bold proclamations of who he was and who he was coming for you and me. So, a short story to follow back on my time at No Longer Bound the importance of truth tellers in our lives and being real and caring enough about someone to tell them the truth is what I learned as the most valuable tool at No Longer Bound. This is being willing to speak truth in love, but more difficultly, <laughs> being able to receive correction, not as rejection. And sure enough, I had that opportunity to live with men from all walks of life, to labor with them towards the cross and work on myself and my my broken heart, my, my confused mind to allow the power of God to reshape me and transform me into what he wanted me to be then and now. So at that place, we would sit every week and we would do this exercise called the sociogram. Not sure what that means. Noah does, though. Uh, 
the sociogram was this platform where we went around and we spoke positive and negative spiritual growth, work ethic, and attitude. So we'd have to look at a brother and say, you know what, Randy, this week I got you for a negative attitude, and here's why. You know, so learning that tool to not only proclaim being a truth teller and make a testament about what you observe in an individual and do it from a place of love and learning to receive that from the heart was transformative in life. And since then, throughout my ministry, I've, had, I've used that as a critical tool, not just to call people out, but to reconcile with people on a heart level and see authentic, genuine relationship occur after you're willing to walk through the fire and speak truth and love and say, this is what I observe, and unfortunately, I've, I've resented you for weeks or days or months, and I'd like to ask for your forgiveness. And in doing that, we take our ownership of our contribution to the division, the delay, the unforgiveness, and we see the restorative work of God take root in an incredible way. So you are the son of the living God. Revelation is met with obedience. In verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven, not by the inerrant human nature. He didn't just make a good guess here. He made an observation of, wow, this really is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And this was a revelation offered to him by the Father in heaven. And throughout Scripture, there is evidence of that to be true. So we are, in fact, without excuse. How are we in the way of revelation? How do we miss the revelation of God? We miss it because we're preoccupied. We miss it because of skepticism. We miss it because of unforgiveness and a lack of obedience. But in John 14, 21, he said, He who has my command and obeys it, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Obedience is met with the revelation of God, and we're invited to enter deeper into his presence, his heart, and his purpose for us as we obey. And we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. It says this in Matthew 5, as you know, the, the Beatitudes, that we will be filled. But we're not content. We get so caught up with what we need in order to make us feel more valued or content with life. Martin Luther said, The first and foremost thing is for man to know that of himself he cannot become good or do good, and therefore he must despair of himself and then call upon the divine grace in which he should steadfastly trust. Until we can admit we're the problem, there is no solution. And that, in fact, is a, is a concept um, observed in Narcotics Anonymous, which is like AA and the 12 Steps. And the 12-step thing is on to something. We realize that there is a higher power, and thanks be to God that most of us know that the one and the true and the living God is the only power we look to for significance, for purpose, for eternal positioning in Christ. So I want to read you a quick reflection on self-awareness and recognition around our contribution to revelation, which is obedience. The National Association for Christian Recovery 
has put out a book called Rooted in God's Love, and you can find it online and get daily reflections as a short test, uh, devotional. Wisdom is something internal. During recovery, the Spirit works within us to make us wise. This involves weeding out all the distorted ideas and distorted thinking processes which supported our denial system. What's supporting our denial system? Are we weeding those things out? And do we have people in our lives speaking words of correction, not as rejection? And are we that for other people? Revelation is external to us. It is God's self-disclosure to us. Without an external frame of reference, we are perfectly capable of of creating a reality of our own choosing. Our denial is the Spirit's work Our denial is capable of creating a comprehensive alternate reality with no external checks or balances. The Spirit works to reveal to us what is true, what is real, and as a result, we gradually learn that there is a reality beyond our pretense and denial. So again, how do we center ourselves around our ambition and our self-will? And when we do, we miss the revelation of God, which is made clear that we are without excuse. Romans 1, 18 through 20. As our wounded hearts are changed, we are empowered to know God better. So how does the Lord want to do a healing work in your heart this morning and this week? And what is your part in that? It's surrender, it's obedience, it's confession, it's availability to the revelation, it's asking the right questions of God. In verse 18, confession, humility, transformation is the process in the church that we get to be a continuation of. In verse 18, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. This is the, the, the place in the New Testament where the word ecclesia shows up, the church throughout history that we get to be contributors of, that we get to build on the foundation that was created by the confession and the person of Peter. Jesus says, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome. The power of death, the fear of death, the many things that would hold back the ancient world from experiencing the fullness of faith, hope, and love is the same battle that we face today. The fear of things yet to come. The absence of guarantee, which is anxiety. And as we allow anxiety to rule in our hearts, we miss the simple gospel, the the presence, the fullness of God's love. We miss these things. So, what? how is the power of death holding us back? Is your confession bigger than this power? Continually confess Jesus is Lord and position your heart to be filled with his love. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and you will be filled. Jesus says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And verse 19, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keys give authority and power. As believers, we've been equipped with the gospel of peace to carry the kingdom. Do we carry the kingdom? Do we proclaim our faith as we embody our convictions? Do people see an evidence of the power of God on our lives? This isn't an effort that you can just conjure up and try to make it look like you do, but rather as you look back on life, 
do you see evidence of fruit of the Spirit? That's the undeniable reflection of the risen Lord. As you look back on life, do people, would people agree with your assessment of the fruit in your life? And as importantly, or perhaps even, even more importantly, as you look ahead and you see broken, lonely, wounded people, do you carry the keys of the kingdom, your proclamation, your convictions, your bold faith that would empower them with the same hope that you have? So there's a binding and loosing here that is important not to miss. Binding is to warn and forbid. There's an, uh, uh, the, loose, the loosing is to permit or command. And the, the, there's an apocalyptic um, reality here, the, the eschatologi- eschatological uh, emphasis here that says that you have the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose. And what will be recognized on the final day of judgment is the authority that you have been empowered with and your faithful to, faithfulness to that authority. So what is it that you need to bind today and loose today in your life or the life of a loved one that needs to set them free? And God is using you as his agent to be a difference maker. So have the faith, faith to step out in, in faith, hope, and love that people would be set free as you carry the keys of the kingdom. Then he warned his disciples in verse 20, don't tell anyone about this, that he was the Christ. And the reason why he did that is because there's no shortcut to the cross, both then and now. He made it clear to the disciples that he had the events that would occur were necessary for the foundation of the scripture to be the entire story and all of what we need as evidence to frame the Lord in to our hearts, to bring the glory of heaven down to us. He, 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 there is a written account of the Lord Jesus, the narratives, the apocalyptic literature, the, the Psalms, the, the, all the things that fit together to position us for right living. So the man, the, the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know the verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is, is God-breathed. So I I leave you with these four questions. In conclusion, Jesus understood again, this is the central component here, that transformation in life is about asking the right questions. Are you asking the right questions? Are you asking questions from the heart? And are you looking for the answers that bring resolution? Or are you looking for answers that offset your pain for a minute? For instance, substance abuse or gambling or video game addiction or whatever places you at the center of your focus is a temporary answer that has eternal consequence. So thanks be to God that he's invited us to consider his word and all of what it is that that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The righteousness of God, we know how to live and we have no excuse not to live there. So four questions in closing. Are you available to the revelation of God? Obedience is met with revelation. Who do you say Jesus is? Your confession means something. Both when you confess Jesus to be the Lord of your life and how you confess in the midst of your trials and tribulations. Your confession from the heart is transformative. Not just for you, but for those who observe your life as authentic. Faith lived out, surrendered. 
Are you an extension of the church to humility, be present in your life? Not just what you know, but the evidence of your realization that by God's mercy and grace, you have the opportunity to live. And whatever your future holds, if you labor towards the, re- uh, the, the resolution and drawing people into, their, into the heart of God, if that be your purpose, your greatest days are ahead. Do you carry the kingdom of God, the keys, the proclamation, the binding and loosing, the authority of Christ? Do you carry that on your life, the attractional nature of Christ in you? This key quote underscores the humility and the humble heart. When you know who God wants you to be, you'll never want to be anyone else. Do you carry the keys of the kingdom? the sanctification, the possession by the Holy Spirit for right living, and the proclamation of faith that says, apart from what God has done in my life, I would have nothing to offer. And God has invited each of you to be difference makers. He's equipped you with with tools, with skills, with resources to be an extension of the church. So how might you speak truth and love? How might you be a truth teller? How might you embody a truth that transforms in such a way that people say, I want to know what they know? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us all that we need to put our faith solely in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Just empower us this week as we go out. Help us to take seriously on a heart level a broken, lost, hurting world that needs restoration that needs to be positioned in the Father's will. Use us to do that faithfully. The power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.